Hello, hello and welcome on The Barricades. This is a podcast produced by Eastern European journalists and academics. I am your host, Maria Ternat, an academic based in Bucharest. And joining me from Poland now is the Bulgarian-born Polish journalist and the co-host of our show, Bojan Stanislavski. Thank you for being here with us. Hey, hello, how are you, Maria? I'm fine, and I want to discuss a couple of important things taking place in Eastern Europe. As usual, we provide critical analysis and critical perspective of events taking place in this part of the world. And we are going to just announce a couple of the themes and um, the, the things and events we are going to analyze in a short while with Boyan. NATO, the first one. NATO neighbors demand Belarus expel Wagner fighters. This is a very interesting one. Officials from Poland, Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia says the presence of the paramilitary force in Belarus following short-lived rebellion rebellion in Russia poses a threat. No kidding, (laughs) right? I thought they were there to plant flowers. (laughs) <laughs> then, Le Monde, musician Goran Bregovic. This is a famous musician in our part of the world because he plays um, some sort of Balkan folklore with the progressive elements in music. And uh, he is very popular and well-known and people usually go to his concerts because he's, again, popular and famous. So, a very interesting thing happened to him. Musician Goran Bregovic banned from entering Moldova because he denies being close to Moscow. So, the authorities. he denies being close to Moscow. Yes, and the authorities reproached the Bosnian composer for giving a concert in Sevastopol, annexed Crimea in 2015. Now, notes from. Poland. Very interesting. Poland is the country of the straight people, right? Because right now we found out that video shows Polish far right election chief promising to register gays if they win power. Again, scapegoating minorities. If this party wins power, not gay people, of course. (laughs) Yes, if they win power, yes. They will register not only homosexual relationships, but also individual faggots, so none of none of them has the right to claim power. That's yeah. that's that's by the way a quote from this guy, right? Just, wow, that you just read. Yeah. Very interesting politician and very interesting party you have there in Poland. I'm pretty sure that uh, this is the, the way to build a democracy. And uh, then, last but not least, policemen among those arrested over disruption of Poland's train system. Very interesting indeed topics you put forward, Boyan. Let's start with the first one. Now, to me, it appears so ludicrous that all these countries demand Belarus that they expel Wagner fighters. First of all, what gives them their right? What in their mind makes them think that President Lukashenko is going to listen to them? (laughs) And why would he? Mm. 
Yeah, yeah. I think I think those are uh, you know very very good questions, and uh, <clears throat> I'm afraid I can't give you any rational answer, but I can try and be serious about it for a while. It doesn't deserve any more seriousness than just a while, uh, because when you come to think about it, then it's like the the local powers, the local. I don't know how to even. Uh, refer to those countries, but this is how they obviously seem to be per perceiving themselves because, you know, sovereign countries, regular sovereign countries, uh, then in theory, they are able to exercise sovereignty on their own territory. And then there are those powerful countries, empires, right? Those that are able to project their own sovereignty over onto other countries. Whether it's good or bad, I don't want to discuss now. I mean, I'm against any kind of imperialist politics, of course, but I I'm just like giving you the theory. And now you have the 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 local superpowers i guess right poland lithuania latvia i know estonia maybe and then you come to 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 think like oh if estonia is there probably you know it's game over because like you know i i really don't know how to comment about it. and then they come together they come together and instead of discussing something meaningful instead of trying to figure out how to survive as a country as a state how to defend your statehood how to defend your your economies i mean what kind of okay poland is like a country of 40 million uh, people that's you know, and it's got a lot of support and a big role in the European Union and European economic life in general. But then you have those countries which are like country of two million people, maybe less like Lithuania. I mean, this is really a fragile organism. You got to think about how to survive in in situation of war. So you would probably want to talk if you were a rational politician to your neighbors, to other countries, to other governments, to other international organizations to defend yourself. But no, no, they gather and they, they don't discuss any, any any matters like that. They gather and they go like, let's poke the Russian bear or the Belarusian bear in this uh, instance once again with a hot rod uh, somewhere up their rear end, right? Let's just do that. Why not? That's a great choice. That's a great way to go. This is exactly what we're here for, right? I mean, we have no other problems. Everything's been solved. Our countries and our societies, everything's fantastic. So now it's time for us to assert ourselves in the Eastern European scene. So we're going to demand from Belarus, I mean, demand from Belarus to remove, to do this or that. Like, this is the most, I mean, if they even believe that for a moment, then this is absolutely idiotic. And th this means those people should never be clo let anywhere close to, to positions of power because they are simply, they, they simply live in, in, in some kind of delusional state of mind. Uh, because obviously, but Lukashenko will never listen to them. And I think they just be made them, like they became a laughing stock because of that. I mean, I'm sure that Lukashenko and his people, they were they are just sitting there and wondering, I mean, are those people okay? Are those people in their right mind? I mean, they're just I there are memes already, by the way, you know. So uh if you go to the Russian internet, Belarusian internet, there's a lot of memes about like you know, this uh the the, the ministers of um uh, of those countries like Lithuania, Poland, Estonia, and Latvia, you know, trying to put forward all kinds of demands, and then Lukashenko replying in, you know, allegedly in some funny manner. So this is this is the the, the only effect that they got, and and I don't believe they were they even. I don't believe they even uh, uh, impressed anyone in the West. Maybe that's what they were hoping for. Like, you know, now we're going to make another stupid move against Russia, Belarus or whatever, and then we're going to get the tap on the shoulder by our, you know, our most important. I don't know. Uh, uh, allies from the United States or something. I don't even uh, believe they got that. So this is completely uh, stupid. Now, if I were to analyze it seriously, then I think maybe they were trying to organize, uh, maybe maybe it's some kind of, it was meant to be some kind of provocation to provoke uh, some kind of aggressive reaction from um, from Belarus, but obviously it never happened. Now, what is the, re what is the, the 
the kind of reaction from Belarus, which I think could be linked to this nonsensical demand. Well, two or three days ago, and we're recording it on September 2nd, uh, the Belarusian leader, Alexander Lukashenko, right before his birthday, uh, which was on August 31st, uh, he said that we should actually improve our relations with Poland because Poland is our neighbor. So we would like to invite the Polish army to participate in our, in, uh, in, in our drills, which we organize, you know, on the regular with Russia or with other uh, ODKB, which is the kind of, mm, mm, I don't know, like NATO-like organization in, uh, in Asia and uh, across the ex-Soviet Union mostly. So this is, uh, this is the, the, the kind of, you know, trolling that they were able to, to come up with against the kind of nonsense that the Polish, Lithuanians, Latvians, and Estonians cover. So that's it. That's that, That's all I can say about it. I think it's stupid. I think it displays weakness, and I think it displays complete inadequacy in, in a sense like uh, those people who come up with it and think they are serious, that's that's just, you know, the state of affairs uh, in, uh, in Poland. It also speaks to the fact that for a very long time, the United States was so powerful that being in an alliance with them allowed you to make this type of statements and allowed you to poke whatever um, enemy or alleged enemy mm. of the United States. And when you were in this very strong alliance, you would count on the fact that the, you were going to be, you know, tap on the shoulder and you were going to be protected no matter what. And these people are completely detached from reality because things are about to change. Things are about to change and they are changing rapidly, but they don't really care because there is there is this analysis. Richard Wolff, the, the famous Marxian economist, put it forward of the way the new imperialism works. And you don't have to be very, you know, um, don't have to have the Nobel Prize in economy to understand that there is this class of opportunistic, you know, politicians, intellectuals, members of the academia that support the imperial interest <laughs> because they have something to gain from it. And these are the people who really want to stay there in power by doing the bidding of the United States and thinking that they are going to stay there in power forever and protect their interests. Yep. And it's going to be very interesting and if things are going to change as rapidly as we we see on the international arena, things are going to get very interesting. Yeah, things are going to get, but, but you know, in the, mean, in the process, we can lose a lot. The problem is that countries like Poland, Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, all those countries that want to organize some kind of uh, subversion on the part of the United States or around Russia, you know, like Georgia, for example, I mean... The, Whenever the United States want to do something around with Russia, around Russia, to Russia, then uh, it's always been like that for the last 30 years, that three countries raise up their hands and, and say, we're ready to do that for you. It's Poland, used to be Ukraine, and Georgia, right? And then, you know, uh, then, then came subsequently the Baltic states, Romania as well, and so on and so forth. So this is, this is how this network, you know, was built. The, the point is only that I don't know to what extent the, the public's plus the politicians, I think the politicians more so than the public understand what kind of uh, what kind of investment are they making? I mean, what they are doing is they are putting all their assets into one basket, which is like American imperialist interests, and mm -hmm. they can lose a lot because the Americans are not going to, at least not in the first, uh, I mean, should anything happen in terms of military, you know, misunderstanding of a certain situation, a missile wrongly, uh, 
perceived by some radar or something that could lead to a hot war between Russia and NATO, then where is it going to take place? Well, not in the United States, right? I mean, probably not in Portugal first. Where is it going to take place? In Latvia, in uh, Lithuania, in Poland, in Romania, in Bulgaria. That's where it's going to take place first. And this is where the theater of war could actually appear uh, if anything goes wrong. So, uh, you know, why, why would you offer your territory uh, for, for this kind of imperialist experiment? Why would you risk your infrastructure, your statehood, your society? You know, why would you risk all that in just to, to, to make sure that some imperialists in Washington can... can uh... Because you are really defending democracy exactly. from true enemies of the people who are the Russians. And that's worth everything, right? That's worth everything. That's worth dying for. That's worth, like, you know... Everything, destroying your country. And this is how you do it also. Now I hope you see that I'm sharing the screen yeah. with an article from Le Moon discussing how musician Goran Bregovich banned from entering Moldova denies being close to Moscow. The authority reproached the Bosnian composer for giving a concert in Sevastopol in the next Crimea in 2015. Mm. Very interesting, isn't it? Yeah, well, first of all, I want to say that uh, it's stupid and ludicrous on its face. I mean, this is, again, a kind of, what kind of favor are you doing to yourself? Or what kind of favor are you doing to the Americans, if you like, being a Moldovan politician, taking a decision to ban a musician, a popular musician across the region on top of everything, uh, you know, playing music for people when they are obviously waiting for him, right, to go there and, and give them some, some entertainment. Uh, and instead of actually making it easier for the people who are already, who have been struggling for the last 30 years, because Moldova is like... A, you know, to even refer to it as a country is a bit of over the top because this is just, it's all owned by one person. Uh, and uh, the entire country, the entire economy, uh, I forgot his name, Plachotniuk? Plachotniuk, mm -hmm. right, wasn't it? Yeah, and uh, and maybe some of the uh, of his friends. And, and uh, of course, he's in cahoots with, America, with the Americans and so on and so forth. Now, uh, the economy is uh, is a joke. The Moldovan economy. We all we very often joke in uh, in Bulgaria that we should actually uh, lobby for Moldova getting into the European Union, so we stop being the poorest country in that club. Uh, and uh, and and I think there's a lot of truth to that. So uh, and Moldova now finds itself in such a difficult situation. They have the Transnistria region, which is a kind of a remnant of the Soviet Union, uh, preserved uh, in a kind of very weird state of non-statehood, but kind of non-recognized, but is there with, you know, the Russians supporting it ever since. Uh, a very interesting, by the way, very interesting history, very interesting for the leftists uh, and socialist communists around the world, should be at least, because this is how it all started, by people protesting against the dismantlement of the Soviet Union. So this is a very symbolic area. Uh, and, uh, you know, with the war in Ukraine and everything, this is this is a very, very difficult situation that Moldova is in. And yet they come up with this kind of thing. We're not going to solve anything for you. We're not going to change the economy. We're not going to get rid of the oligarchic model. We're not going to do anything for you. But we're going to ban a musician that, I don't know, some private company probably invited to play for you. This is what we can do for you. I mean, this is the state of affairs 30 years after the, 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 the you know, gaining, regaining independence by Moldova, if it 
if you can speak of regaining the insert some comments here that i forgot to mention mm. when discussing romania because another thing uh, you usually ask me about what is the reaction yeah. of the left and i forgot to mention and now that you mentioned this culture war against goran bregovic i just remember that in romania we had a huge scandal on facebook if one of the famous writers in romania bogdan alexandru stanescu that wrote a book a couple of years ago containing very very derogative uh, descriptions of Roma people is racist or not. Mm -hmm. That was the discussion. That was yeah, the yeah. That, there's no other, there are no other problems. There are no other uh, social problems. And I'm sure this is going to catch the eye of the working class. Absolutely. The reactions of, of the establishment was, were incredibly racist. But at the same time, I mean, take this person, ban his books. What do you solve? What do you solve? That is exactly yeah. this. Let's assume that Goran Bregovic is this pro-Russian singer that is going to promote the agenda of Putin and is going to... Through his music, he's going to, you know... Yes, and is going to infest and, and, and um, you know, destroy the pure life, the pure cultural, cultural life of Moldova with his music. But, you know, in terms yeah, but of and the bills you have to pay yeah. and the, and the war around you yeah. what does this solve i mean this is no this no is of course it doesn't solve of course it doesn't solve anything but since you mentioned the left and of course i you know i i even you know i i find it increasingly difficult to refer my to, to myself as left because you know the left what it does in europe now is it it carries out or suggests politics which are totally contrary or 99% contrary to the desires of the working class across Europe. That's why the working class in Poland votes for law and justice. That's why the working class in Romania is going to vote for wow. our. That's why the working class in, in Bulgaria is going to vote for the revival party. That's why that, that's how things happen, right? Because the left is like there, you know, searching through libraries going for, oh, is there any homophobic remark in this or that? Yeah. Okay. Anyway, let's, let's just leave that. But I, I want to say that, uh, you know, M Moldova, uh, Moldova, the Moldovan authorities, they are trying to present it as something strong, as a strong move that we can ban, you know, Goran Bregovic, a popular musician, an icon of popular music, you know, around the Balkans mostly, but across Eastern Europe in general. Uh, not that I like him much, honestly, because he steals a lot of music, presenting it as his own. I mean, this is just like popular melodies, folkloric melodies that we, we play, like, uh, you know, as, as what they are, which is popular folkloric melodies that are part of our cultural tradition and heritage. And then he takes them, adds a few chords, and then he says, this is my music, which is, you know, another debate, but I just wanted to indicate it here. I don't, I'm not a great fan of this guy, but nonetheless, he's very popular and he produces a lot of interesting uh, uh, entertainment, but uh, you know, they, they, the, the Moldovans say, oh, we are very strong, we can ban this person. No, you're not strong. You're very, very weak. If you cannot even afford someone who is not a politician, who is not, I don't know, a campaigner from another country playing music just because his views on Russia, Ukraine, whatever, international politics, contradict the views that are imposed in the by your establishment, you cannot even allow, you cannot even afford, you're so fragile, you cannot even afford having him on stage. I mean, that's that's just, that, that's weakness, 110%. That's what it you is. You read my mind. You read my yeah. mind because yeah. this is a sign of fear and weakness. Exactly. Sign of fear and weakness at the same time. Uh, but, but think about it, Maria. Think about it. Now we have countries like Poland, Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, and, and you know, uh, demanding from Belarus this or that, where we know Belarus is... is 
is a serious country which is not going to listen to anyone except for the Russian Federation, maybe, or China. Uh, you know, and and uh, they will not, they would not listen. They will, they will just turn it all into some kind of trolling affair, which they eventually did. And then we have Moldova, who bans Goran Bregovic. I mean, what kind of, like, how do we look as Eastern Europeans in the eyes of intelligent people? I mean, we look as as crazy. I mean, absolutely crazy. I mean, this is devastating. For, for the kind of, you know, for the identity that we have, like, you know, we're part of that region. We want to we want to be viewed as serious people. Uh, but, but that's... Again, we want to be viewed as serious people, but let's move to the next, yeah. uh, you know, uh, topic. You have here a far-right politician. Yeah. I am projecting this on our screen, and I hope the yeah. viewers yeah. can see it. Polish far-right election chief promises to register gay if they win power. I mean, this if this politician wins power. Yeah. So this is, again, the type of politician that we also have in Romania. This is a bit of a, the equivalent of Aul, because mm. they also have this type of, of problem. And this is what I call bedroom politics. I mean, why do you care so much? Why do you have to make it into your own political agenda? If you really have something to offer economically mm -hmm. and you really have a positive vision of the future. And this is, at least in Romania, I don't know. I want to ask the following thing. Do you think is this guy pro-Russian? Because in Romania, this is usually the pro-Russian portrait of a politician because they project on Russia the idea that they crack down on the LGBT, they are the true beholders of conservative values, they are the true defenders of national ethnic sovereignty and all the rest. So what's the story with this guy? Okay, well, I, I actually, I, I, wanna, I wanna speak uh, mostly about why it's not going to have any effect in the public in Poland, because I think this is the most, it's an outrageous statement, right? And I think it would be just as outrageous in Russia, maybe less, uh, or, or in any other conservative, quote-unquote, country to register people on the basis of their orientation. Uh, so that's, that's an outrageous statement. And obviously, you know, according to how I understand culture and political culture, I think such statements, they should be one of the last statements of public statements of politicians, of that, which, by which I'm not trying to say they should be cancelled or they should be forbidden for, uh, from the public tribune. I'm just saying that no one should actually pay attention to them anymore after they come up with an idea so repressive and so crazy that doesn't solve anything. Because, you know, if you have an, an oppressive idea or repressive idea, idea for repression that's going to solve something, then we could discuss that, like mandatory... Uh, you know, vaccinations and stuff. We could discuss that. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying that this deserves a discussion, public debate or something like that. Not that we have a lot of public debate of quality we've had recently, but still, it's in, theoretically speaking, this could be something, this could be interpreted as a repressive measure that deserves some kind of, but, you know, registering uh, gay people, of course, does he mean that? Of course he doesn't mean that. Can we even do that? I don't think it's even possible. I mean, how can you, how are you going to prosecute and how are you going to verify the orientation of certain people? Okay, they live together, if they married abroad and they live as a couple in Poland, I'm talking about same-sex marriage, then oh, potentially you could register that and you could, you know, figure it out. There are people who are openly gay, of course, then you could register them potentially. But how are you going to register a whole bunch of people, most of them probably, who don't boast about their orientation, who go, of course, from, one to, from time to time to, I don't know, gay-friendly places, gay clubs, gay saunas, whatever. They do that, of course, you know. Uh, but then, you know, 
people with straight orientation, they are also welcome there. I mean, they're not being kicked out. Maybe of some of the places who are exclusively for gay men. I don't know. But uh, but, but but this is this is this is impossible. I mean, this is mission impossible from day one. Actually, the Polish authorities in the 80s, repressive authorities, you know, during or after the martial law uh, between 1981 and 1983, they did organize through their secret service a kind of you know, attempt to register gay gay people. And the excuse for that was uh, that be because of HIV, they were not able to control it. And, you know, this became this became a very difficult, serious, you know, health problem. And particularly in that community. So they wanted to monitor it. This is, of course, their explanation. Fact of the matter is that they probably mostly wanted it to, to be able to blackmail people um, rather than, uh, you know, rather than, 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 than be caring for their health. But uh, it it failed back then. So the really well-oiled repressive machinery of the former secret police was not able to do that. And now you're telling me some accidental, you know, fascistic uh, guy is going to be able to carry out what the former secret service. So this is not serious. Now, what it wants, what it aims is to provoke another emotional upheaval in the Polish society. And this, unfortunately, is the substance of politics, quote unquote, in Poland, I mean, we get we, we fall, we, you know, we fall from one emotional upheaval into another emotional upheaval, and the entire society, I've said it many times in our programs, is uh, emotionally exploited to the point of absolute, you know, inability to understand the world surrounding you, the immediate reality, because everybody is so pumped up with all kinds of emotions all the time, and this could be gay people, this could be Russians, this could be the Germans, this could be the LGBT, this could be the Czech, even the Czech, like, you know, because we have a dispute with the Czech Republic over a certain mine, right? And, uh, you know, my friend, uh, a friend of mine from Poland here, <clears throat> whom I recently, uh, whom I often discuss politics with, he said, he's also a journalist, by the way, he said that, you know, Poland should actually complete the circle and declare a war to the Baltic Sea. And then we would be, you know, surrounded <laughs> by hostile, hostile uh, uh, entities all around us. Like, you know, if we just declare a war to the Baltic Sea. So this is, this is the, uh, uh, this is the situation. And, and now why isn't it going to matter? Exactly, precisely because of that. Because you brought the society to the verge of emotional collapse. And, you, you know, today, Tomorrow, the day after tomorrow, before October 15th, when we're going to have elections, you're going to have one outrageous statement after another, and people are going to take it without much of a reaction because they can't react anymore. You've thrown so much e uh, emotional poison at them that they are they are in a state where you, you, you know, you could tell them anything. You could tell them anything, and they're just going to go like, uh, you know, like a, a depressed man. A depressed person, you know, not not you know, not leaving their bedroom, not leaving their bed for for weeks, not even going to take a shower. You can tell them anything; they will react the same way, right? So, so this is why this isn't going to matter. And now, you know, you'd like to, you, especially notes from Poland, which is sponsored by the National Endowment of Democracy, sponsored or at least advertising it. I don't know; it's advertising it on the, on their homepage, National Endowment for Democracy. Okay, so uh, notes notes from Poland want you to think that this is some kind of outrageous case, outstanding case, a fascistic, you know, persona uh, uh, taken, uh, possibly taken, becoming a member of parliament because of far-right extremists and so on and so forth. And that's partially true. But what the part that they conveniently skip is that the civic platform, the party of Donald Tusk, the former president of the European Council, the great hope 
of the white liberals, right? Mm -hmm. Oh my God, they're going to to bring every the, the, the they're going to restore democracy and, and the rule of law and all the rest of it, right? So they have one a guy named Roman Giertich. It doesn't tell you much, I know, but it's important. They have this guy on their lists now on their parliamentary. Uh, election list. And who is Roman Gerte? He's the founder of the organization, the founder of the organization that this guy represented when he uttered those words about, uh, you know, gay people being registered. So the follower of someone who is now with Donald Tusk is saying those words. So this should give you an idea about the kind of I'm sorry, I hate to use this word uh, a lot. And I think it's used and abused way too much fascism, but the kind of fascistic, fascistic far right, you know, elements are the common denominator for the entire political class in Poland, with a few exceptions here and there. But now law and justice, uh, you know, this far right party, they're called Confederation and, and, and uh, uh, civic platform, they have this common denominator, which is clearly expressed. Okay, so, you know, you can come up with even more, you, you will hear even more outrageous ideas soon, I promise you that, and we can bring them up, and they will make zero difference. Now, what we know about Poland and the electorate today, it's made up its mind. There are a few people, uh, I mean, sorry, a few percent of people uh, that have not made up their mind, and there's going to be a lot of a lot of struggle for those votes, absolutely, because law and justice wants to, to make sure that they have the absolute uh, majority, and so on and so forth, and and they're going to fight, but they're not going to fight on the basis of we can offer you better things than Donald Tusk. They're going to fight uh, with this emotional, emotional ammunition that they're going to this emotional radiation. You know, they're going to just turn, turn it up, uh, turn up the volume of that radiation even more. And we're going to be getting crazy, even crazier statements, ever crazier statements all the time. And, uh, and and this is what you're going to see on October 15th, a, a morally, ethically, and, 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 and to, by and large, politically and culturally collapsed and emotionally, most of all, collapsed society, public, is going to go and vote. And they're going to vote just as, 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 as the polls have shown for the last couple of months. One third of the Polish electorate supports law and justice. About one fourth of this electorate supports uh, the civic platform, and then comes the rest. And probably a large chunk of that rest is going to be now consumed by this far right confederation, which uh, which is going to become the third uh, political force in this country. And to answer the question, if they are pro-Russian, no, they're not pro-Russian. Uh, if you interpret it rationally what pro-russian means that they would support russia against ukraine for example no one does that in poland maybe some people but they're not uh, in the first line of politics but there are many people in that country who say that this is not our war we should not be supporting ukraine and demilitarizing our own uh, our own uh, army we should not be doing we should not be going out of our way to support a failing country in a failing uh, uh, failing country in this war so that's what some people would say. They would be, of course, uh, labeled pro-Russian, but they are not pro-Russian. They are just they just stand against sending out our tanks, you know, to uh, to to Ukraine. Very interesting. Now for the last part of the show, very interesting things going on. Police arrested over disruption of Poland's train system. Yeah. This is very very weird. Yeah. Let us discuss a little bit what really happened because 
It says here, a police police officer is among two men who have been detained and charged over the unauthorized stopping of trains with the use of a shortwave radio signal on Sunday in the north northeastern port. I don't know how to read this. Probably. Okay. So what happened? Right. Okay. So I normally I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't bother you with uh, you know train infrastructure in Poland and stuff like that unless something really spectacular happens and this is pretty spectacular but not for the reason that someone uh, or actually for that reason as well like uh, I guess you can uh, you and the viewers can judge uh, on the level of spectacularity if it's worth of that event but it's 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 important because you know uh, we do have problems with train infrastructure. The main problem is the lack of it or the unsustainability or, or the lack of sustain... Sus, uh, uh, sorry, I've lost I've lost my English. I mean, that they are, they are not sustaining it. They're not, you know, preserving mm -hmm. it properly. So in 1989, by the way, uh, we've had about 34, if I remember correctly, 34, 30, between 30 and 40,000 uh, kilometers long altogether uh, network of passenger railways. Okay, 40, between 30 and 40,000 kilometers. Now we have barely 13,000. Wow. What, what a progress. What a democratic... <laughs> this is how we democratize our railways, right? So we have... To, and we still have a problem to maintain that. Uh, and, uh, you know, problems occur every once in a while. But recently, we've had a few major accidents... Luckily, no one was killed, no one was injured, not in a major way and stuff like that. But we had major, major incidents on our railway network, this, this remnant of the railway network that we used to have. And, of course, the politicians, instead of saying, like, we're going to look into that, we're going to have to see what the inspections have shown us, you know, of this infrastructure for the last, I don't know, two years or something, you know, that's, that's what you would expect. But no, they come up with the very simple explanation the Russians must have had their hand in this. Like, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm really, I don't know, I, I don't know what to say. Like, you know, like, yeah, of course, of course, the Russians had, and they employed the Secret Service to, oh. to to look into that. So the Secret Service, of course, went there and looked into that and said, mm, "We're not sure that it was the Russians." <laughs> you know? I mean, it's difficult to to actually find that it was the Russians, but we've actually did find out who who was that, and those. Those were a couple of pranksters, or this is how they perceived themselves, who were joking with radio signals that were uh, that were somehow passed on to the train engineers, different train engineers. And this was the so-called stop signal. So when a train engineer apparently appear, receives a stop signal, then regardless of you know what the previous orders were in terms of driving the the, the engine, the train composition, they have to stop immediately. Okay, regardless. So they did stop, and because of that, some accidents occurred. And so, and among those pranksters, apparently, there was one police person. So talk to me about a collapsed society, a collapsed institution, collapsed statehood. When you have policemen in their free time joking with a couple of other people, trying to force the trains, okay, running trains, to stop or move or do other things, and then go and blame the Russians for that. I mean, this is... A state that is trying to be uh, to, to to play, I don't know, some kind of to be a regional power. This is a, a state that is trying to take it on Russia. This is a state that is saying that they're going to defend NATO from the. I mean, come on, you cannot defend your railways.
You know, like in Romania, you cannot defend your gas stations like we, you know, we spoke about that in the previous segment. And you want to take down Russia. I mean, this is this is so ludicrous. I, I really I have no words. Wow. Very interesting. Thank yeah. you so Set much. Set of news from Eastern Europe. You know, <laughs> welcome. Come and see. From Eastern, from Eastern Europe with this pinch of originality, as you call it, Balkan extravaganza that yeah. we have. And always blame it on the Russians. Very, very interesting. So thank you so much to the viewers. If you like what you saw, patreon.com slash the barricade is a place where you can support us. And also you have all the links in the description and uh, to the small community of donors. Thank you very thank much. Thank you. Again, and see you all in the next segment of our show. That's right.